This episode is presented by BetMGM, the exclusive betting partner of The Athletic. Sign up at BetMGM.com using the promo code THEATHLETICPOD. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington football team for The Athletic. It is Wednesday morning. I hope all hope all is well in your world. It is Dallas week officially. The Washington football team and their arch rivals will meet up Sunday at FedEx Field. Uh, I'm going to discuss that more at length later in this week, but what we're going to do today is sort of revisit everything that just happened this past game in Las Vegas and sort of discuss the state of this team with our friend Jerry Brewer, columnist from the Washington Post. Jerry and I were both in Vegas to watch Washington's 17-15 win over the Raiders. So a fun conversation with Jerry. It's been a minute since I've had him on a podcast, and it was good to catch up with him here as well as seeing him in person out in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, So we'll get to all that, and I'll share some quick thoughts going into this week, some injury updates, uh, and more as we get ready for what is, (laughs) it is crazy that the Washington football team is in this position where these last five games matter a lot beyond just the fact that they're all against division opponents that big stakes here the wild card Washington is now the sixth seed in the NFC they are two games behind Dallas in the race for the NFC East title so a win this week closes the gap and makes things even really more interesting down the stretch but of course with a loss uh, to you know, potentially Washington could fall out of the wild card situation there's a lot there in play but we'll get to all that here and more in just a moment. A uh, quick reminder, as always, you can find my work over on The Athletic. New story up this morning. On this very podcast, right before the season started, I, I did a, a list. Who are the 10 most indispensable players on this team? And what does indispensable mean versus best? You know, if you were ranking just purely based on talent, that's in a vacuum, right? saying independent of anything else, here are the people who are the best. But there is something to be said for, well, for to use as an example, uh, Logan Thomas isn't the best player on the team, but you lose a Logan Thomas, as it looks like Washington has now again for the second time this year. More on that in a moment. What's the backup situation, right? Is Logan Thomas a better player than Jonathan Allen? Uh, probably not. But at least as important as Jonathan Allen is, and he's very important, they do have other defensive tackles on this team. Deron Payne, Matt Ioannidis, Tim Settle. As well as we know at tight end, it's a pretty inexperienced group uh, behind Logan Thomas. And it becomes a, a tougher deal and and to replace him. And that's where indispensable comes into play. I'm, I like looking at things when you looking at a roster uh, or, or rotations for such things. So what I did was I went back and looked at the list that I had in, in September. I, re, I went through it step-by-step, line-by-line, number-by-number, and and pondered what I was thinking then and where do we stand now on some of this. And there's definitely some revisions to be made, and I did revise the top 10 list there as well. Um, You know, Logan Thomas was, just as an example, was third on that list back in in September. Um, I think that's probably a fair assessment. Um, An interesting one, Cole Holcomb was fifth. Obviously, Cole Holcomb is not a top-five player on this team, but guess what's happened? Cole Holcomb has played in every single snap in 11 of 12 games. He's really only missed 13 snaps over the whole season. Um, I don't know where, imagine if he wasn't on the field right now. He's Not only is he calling the plays, but he's been effective and they don't have a ton else at linebacker. Jamin Davis conversation for another day. He's still learning the ropes. So anyway, I think it's a fun list. Hopefully you go check that out. Um, and in addition, I, I you can go check out what I wrote after um, Sunday's game in Las Vegas about how that team uh just win baby the Raiders in their own building. Go check that out. In addition, speaking of Dallas week, David Aldridge wrote a story about how this may be the biggest game at FedEx field in years. And yet we'll see what the crowd looks like because it's going to take a lot for people probably to, to get back to buying in on this team emotionally and spending money on it after years of neglect uh, from ownership. So you can check that out over on the athletic. Uh, but in addition to that, of course, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. Uh, you can do that on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasting, including on the athletic app where you can listen to it commercial free 
over there. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing. And I, I don't probably say this enough, but I've been doing some co-hosting on 106.7 The Fan a bit with my friend Brick Yeroli, who's a national baseball uh, writer, Major League Baseball writer here for The Athletic. Uh, we did it Tuesday night from 6.30 to 9. We'll be back next week, 6.30 to 9, over on The Athletic. Uh, and we'll have some other game, other shifts coming up during the daytime hours. More on that. And I'll just mention here just a couple other things. Uh, I do. You get some of you definitely know I talk to Kevin Sheehan every week over on his show. Every Monday, eight eight a.m. Uh, assuming there's a Sunday game, eight a.m. And then on Friday, probably around seven thirty-five in the morning, uh, before Ron Rivera speaks to to Kevin. So you can always find me there as well. Um, and you know, there you go. Um. What else can I tell you? All right, well, let's get to this. Here's some thoughts going into this week. Um, I'll get to Jerry Brewer in a sec, but just some thoughts as we head to the week. Now, Ron Rivera will talk to us on Wednesday, meaning <laughs> today. Sorry, today is Wednesday. Um, you know, roughly in the 1 o'clock or so hour. And, you know, to some degree, we'll get our first look at the injury report and maybe have a feel for what's going on. Um, the Logan Thomas one is obviously one we'll be keeping an eye on for sure. Uh Reports came out after the game on Sunday that Logan Thomas suffered what was likely an ACL tear. I reported at that point, I could not go that far, but reported that there was concern about a a significant knee injury, but, you know, tests were needed. Well, tests came back on Monday, and Ron Rivera, what he was willing to tell us, which wasn't a ton, but what he was willing to say is that they don't believe it is a serious, serious, serious knee injury, meaning an ACL tear. He would not go beyond that, though. Could be an MCL, could be some other type of issue with the knee. There was some damage to the knee. How much, we don't know. What is it, does this mean Logan Thomas has a chance to come back this year? No, couldn't say that. I mean, it would seem to me if it's a knee injury and there's only five regular season games to go, and even if we factor in the playoffs, I mean, that would seem like a long shot. It's perhaps what he's saying is an ACL tear from a rehab perspective is worse than some other type of knee injuries maybe it's on that front we'll have to see i at this point in my head i'm kind of ruling logan thomas out for the rest of the season uh reminder if he goes on ir again he already went on one time with the hamstring injury that based on the nfl rules he would be out for the year we'll see i don't want to speculate too much but you know if it's a knee injury um you know it's hard to imagine that it's not something that would that he'd be able to recover from pretty quickly but hey you know we see we see things happen all the time with with various injuries. We don't know for sure, but that was with the initial reports from some of the national insiders that he was out for the year. But Ron Rivera downplayed that a bit uh, and said doesn't believe it's an ACL tear, but more tests to come. We'll see if we get any answers further on Wednesday. Um, Montez Sweat. I reported on Monday that Montez Sweat. Um, was they were optimistic that he would be able to come back and practice this week, and Ron Rivera confirmed that on Monday with us that he would be back, um, they believe, t- starting today at practice. Now, that does that mean he will, he will play Sunday against the Cowboys? does not necessarily mean that. There's a 21-day window that they have to uh, get him off IR. I think the big question for me, this was, a, of course, a non-displaced jaw fracture. Um, he's been on a soft food diet for th- this last month. He got the injury was occurred on Halloween against Denver, so it's a little over a month. I don't know what he's, you know, we see Montez Sweat out there working on the side field with trainers, but he's kind of far away from us, so I can't really quite see his mass. And I'm just wondering, you know, what kind of weight has he lost? You know, you and I might, you know, might, might have dropped a few pounds and it's not a big deal per se, but as an NFL defensive lineman, you know, you got to be at a certain conditioning level and a certain weight, ideally. So we'll see where he's at there. Um, but either way, good hope that Montez Sweat comes back. Uh, yes, Washington unbelievably won all four of its games without him. And the last four also, Chase Young was, was didn't finish any of those games. Bizarre circumstance. I discussed that in the indispensable story that I mentioned earlier. But they could still use a perimeter pass rush without question. Montez Sweat obviously would be easily their best uh, edge rusher. So having him back would be big for a defense that has found itself in his absence uh, a, a, a more uh, consistent group. And to now add that presence would be huge. So we'll see if that happens starting this week, Ron Rivera also said he's expecting Landon Collins back at practice today, um, barring any setbacks there with his foot issue. We'll see how that goes. We're also going to be watching who's playing center. Keith Ismail started 
against the Raiders. Tyler Larson was on the active roster, but only there in case of emergency. West Schweitzer was still out with an ankle injury. Um, you know, be curious to see if Tyler Larson's available. Does Ron Rivera go back to the veteran or does he stay with Ismail? And what happens if Schweitzer's available or not? Um, it's notable that Washington did protect three offensive linemen um, out of the four players on the practice squad this week, including David Steinmetz and John Toth, both of whom have already been called up twice, meaning if they're going to be called up again, it's either to be signed directly to the 53 or they would have to clear waivers. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see where Washington's at with uh, with those guys. But if Larson and or Schweitzer can play, perhaps they're starting over Ishmael. We'll have to see uh, about that. Speaking of the practice squad, Wendell Smallwild, who played in place of J.D. McKissick, um, against the Raiders, was not protected. He was last week. It's n- not necessarily significant, but perhaps an indication that Washington thinks J.D. McKissick will be available uh, this week. Doesn't necessarily really mean too much. They, they could just put, promote Smallwood up again, but something we'll obviously keep an eye on for sure. Um, also, Jonathan Allen, I asked Ron Rivera on Monday about his situation because when you look at the snaps against the Raiders, Allen played less than his usual amount. He was actually third among defensive tackles behind Payne, Deron Payne, and Matt Ioannidis. And Ron Rivera did say that there was a slight groin injury to Allen. He did finish the game, so it doesn't appear that it's significant. But obviously, we'll have to see how that goes. You know, he, Allen has not only turned into um, you know their best defensive player, you know, on the team, but he's clearly a guy, I've talked about this now a few times, the, a, a lot. We already knew he was a locker room leader, but I don't think to the degree that we're seeing it right now. Because now that he's speaking more and more with the media on a weekly basis, he is a guy who really, you know, he's got a very serious tone about him. Um, by the way, he was named yesterday as Washington's nominee for the Walter Camp NFL Player or NFL Man of the Year Award, prestigious uh, award, primarily focusing on um, a player's uh, contribution to uh, his community. And, and, and John, Jonathan and his wife Hannah do a great job. Uh, working with the Sasha Bruce House here in D.C. that helps um, homeless youth in town. And they pledged that they were going to donate around $3 million over the course of his career. I wrote a story about John Allen's journey um, from when he was uh, had some time as a kid uh, being homeless. Um, and so you can check that out. Uh, if you go through my Twitter feed at Ben Sandick, you can find that or you can find it on The Athletic. In any event, Ron Rivera... Uh, you know, we may get some more information on John Allen's status as well. Lastly, on the injury front, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, it's officially over. The season's over. He is going on um, injured. Res- he's go- he's going to go on injured reserve after undergoing uh, arthroscopic hip. So, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase it. He's already on injured reserve. Sorry. He he's going to be out for the season though after undergoing arthroscopic hip surgery uh, uh, this week. I reported that as did others on um uh yesterday and what's notable there we kind of already knew ryan fitzpatrick was out for the year we've discussed that before but he just puts a capper on it and to the point of the indispensable list it's just another reminder of where this season started the idea that this guy this 38 year old veteran who was playing the best football of his career would be joining a group with coming off the the clothes that they had last year and and what heights could washington reach with Fitzpatrick, obviously we'll never know. But in a lot of ways, we saw how a season with Fitzpatrick might play out with Taylor Heineke. There's a lot of similarities with these quarterbacks. There's a high wire act. There's a there's a constant combination of, oh no, what throw is that? And oh my Lord, how on earth did he make that happen? Um, their teammates revere and respect them. Um, they, they rally behind them. Um, you know, Beyond that, there's a big inexperience gap. And obviously Fitzpatrick's a lot taller. Than, than Heineke, but you know there's some similarities. But either way, the fact that Washington is six and six, having lost Ryan Fitzpatrick in the second quarter of the first game, really, you know, is a testament to uh, you know to, to a deep roster this guy, this group that this team has put together. But also Taylor Heineke's effective work. He's got four game-winning drives now on the year. Only Justin Herbert and Ben Roethlisberger have more uh, among NFL quarterbacks this season. They have five. So. Um, just a reminder of how the season easily could have gone off the rails and certainly appeared headed in that direction, but they've worked it out. And, um, you know, um, one thing I'm going to be interested to see this week as we talk to the players in particular is what's the vibe out there. You know, it is a, when you don't have locker room access as we, we, we don't 
the only version of the players we get is the best face forward version. It's sort of like imagining how when you go on Facebook or Instagram and everybody's showing you their best version of themselves, right? We're not seeing the off-camera stuff, literally, in, the, in those cases. Um, that's how it kind of is dealing with the players now when we don't have locker room access. We can't quite see how they're doing, what they're doing in their sort of their natural habitat when they're not necessarily aware that, that people are, are, are watching them. Um, but that said, let's see where they're at. They've won four in a row. Ron Rivera keeps playing up the underdog uh, card. By the way, they are an underdog against the Cowboys. Uh, I believe it's a four-point four line, and maybe it's down to three-and-a-half in some spots. Um, and Ron Rivera's absolutely going to beat the drum of the David against the Goliath yet again. And, hey, you might as well keep going with it. Um, but when you win four in a row, you got to be feeling pretty good about yourself. But to what end? They've been really good about staying serious and focused. Again, I think John Allen has a lot to do with that, at least on the defensive side. Ron Rivera as well, who gets a ton of credit for what's happened here. Um, but um, I'll be curious to see what that what that vibe is like. Um, and I'll be curious to see what these injury situations are like as well. So plenty to get to here on, uh, to get to this week with uh, this team. But let's go to a, a deeper dive conversation about the Washington football team. Uh, my friend Jerry Brewer, columnist with the Washington Post, he was out with me in Las Vegas uh, doing his thing, writing about this team. He wrote about Taylor Heineke and obviously watched the game and, and all that. So let's talk myself, Jerry Brewer, the Washington football team, four-game winning streak. Here, let's do that on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right, joining me as promised, he was in Las Vegas with me uh, for the fourth straight win. He's the columnist for the Washington Post. He is the great Jerry Brewer, uh, who's switching his uh, Zoom backgrounds on me. Wow, wow, to see the Christmas tree. Yeah, so I appreciate it. Very, very festive in the in the Brewer household. Uh, it was great to uh, to see you at the game. How, how did you? Before we get to the game, how do uh, how do you enjoy your, your time in in Vegas? I mean, whether whether somebody is a Vegas person or not, it's a very interesting place to be. Did you enjoy your your, your couple of days in in Sin City? Yeah, for sure. It's it's still weird for me um, having a, a bit of a, a West West Coast background uh, to see a team in Vegas and, and to not have the Raiders either in Oakland or way back when, uh, LA. Uh, so it's just kind of, you know, that's, that's the first, because I didn't, um, cover the Stanley cup finals when the caps won. So that was my, my first pro game in Las Vegas. And it's still a little bit weird to think that that city's got two pro teams now and, is trying to angle uh, itself for a third. Uh, but the great thing about Vegas is there's a little bit of something for everybody. You just want to go out and have great meals. Well, we, we had a couple of those. Uh, you want to gamble. Of course, you can lose all your money <laughs> and maybe even win a little in Vegas. You, you, want, to, you want to party and uh, do even more sinful things. It's all there. So that's the crazy thing. Like it's, it's hard to not find something about Vegas that isn't for you. You don't want to go to a magic show. You want to go to a concert, all of those things. So uh, that's what I love, the energy of the city and kind of the diversity in terms of why everyone happens to be there. A hundred percent. When people tell me they don't like Vegas, unless you just I mean, look, it's no matter what you do, it's loud and in your face because of the, 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 the signs and the neon and the noise, you can't avoid that. But if you're cool with some of that, yeah, I'm with you. You can kind of do whatever you want. And now that includes, like you said, sports. It's not just UNLV basketball and some boxing and MMA. Now it's all these other things, including a, uh, a, a football game. And it's interesting. You've attended two games this year on the road in the complete diametrically opposed <laughs> situations, both in terms of the locations and this team. Uh, the first game, you're at Green Bay, historic Lambeau Field. When this team is in the midst of this four-game losing streak, they would go on to lose. They'd lose the Green Bay. They'd lose the next week, and we're also going at two and six. You know, we can start focusing on the 2022 draft. Now you see them in Vegas. Here they come in. They, they, they found something, and they pull off a, a, a big win uh, over the Raiders. They, they, they've now won four in a row. And you know how it is, like, when you – there's a difference between when you see a person every day versus you see them, like – you haven't seen them in like two months and you'll notice the, the like the, the, the person who hasn't seen them in two months will notice, Oh, they got a new haircut. They lost a couple pounds. 
there's you notice those things that the other people who see them day to day don't. So as the day to day person, I'm curious, what was your sense of Washington having not seen them in person? You obviously watch things on TV, but not having seen them in person, be it the game, their vibe. What did you notice the difference between that sad sack team kind of losing four in a row or three in a row when you saw them versus a team now it's one four in a row? Yeah, it's interesting, Ben, because when they lost that game in Green Bay, they actually played really well. And, and you were sort of wondering, like, what was that? The Packers looking ahead to that big game that they had against Arizona, or, or was it them? I, I tend to look at it and say these are pros. Um, you know, they they went out there to try to win that game, and I thought they played really well in Green Bay. So I looked at it and I'm like something is going to even out with this team. Now, I didn't think they would be back at 500 by week 13, but I felt like, okay, um, it's not as chaotic as it seems. They just, they, they got behind the eight ball a bit. I'm, I'm really interested and intrigued to see where they go from here as things get a little more manageable. And to see them now, uh, it's the best case scenario in terms of where you hope they would be when you saw that glimmer of hope in, in the, uh, in the green Bay game. And uh, you know, you start obviously with the quarterback and uh, you know, he continues to kind of mature his way through a season that you didn't expect him to be the, the full-time starter. But uh, I felt like he was really shaky in the second half in particular uh, on Sunday, but you're looking at him and you're like, no, no there's a starting caliber NFL quarterback right now <clears throat> right now um, we, we can get into like long-term implications later but I'm just kind of looking in the moment and it's like okay he's doing enough things to give them a chance to win I thought that the way Gibson started that game uh, in the first quarter I thought he was gonna have a huge game you know they started to slow him down later but for someone who's injured uh, I'm surprised I was impressed by how much uh, juice he has in his legs uh, and then just uh, defensively, they're night and day, a, a different team. You know, e even in that Green Bay game, when they played what to that point was their best defensive performance, you were still like kind of fidgety down in and down out. Mm -hmm. And in this game, uh, you know, I mean, you're missing Landon Collins, and then obviously you're, 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 you, you've been missing um, – uh, Chase and, and Montez Sweat, uh, and, and they're doing a, a lot of shuffling, um, you know, especially at the linebacker level. But there wasn't a moment in that game where I felt like, oh, the defense is going to choke this. Um, it just it doesn't seem shaky. It's the way they've coordinated it, uh, the way the guys in particular on the back end are holding their own. Uh, that's impressive to me. I mean, they made a huge amount of progress, the way they're mixing up uh, zone coverages and how well those guys are playing it. Uh, I was like, now this, this is a defense that has gotten back to the level in which uh, is worthy of, of, of playing in the postseason. Um, and I, you know, I just thought they were just a one hit wonder at one point this year. So that improvement, has been impressive and, and improvement without like flash, right? Like, I mean, um, you know, a couple of the, well, three of the guys who can make real big flash plays aren't available to you right now. And so that's like a down in and down out, just trying to hold steady defensively. They're, they're a lot better. I, I mean, I, and I agree, like, like I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago that, we're really going to see now, look, you've got to have talent to win. I, any coach would tell you that you got to have talent, but there is something to be said for uh, upside, having uh, focusing on the upside, which is what we were doing in the beginning of the year when anybody would discuss this as a top five defense, they weren't a top five defense last year. I mean, in reality, I, whatever the number said by the eye test, they weren't, but potentially they were because of Chase Young and Montez Sweat. But then there's also the, the coaching aspect of it. And clearly th this group was not, I'm not saying it wasn't all on the players, but like they, they clearly weren't following the plan. That's why Rivera constantly harped on maturity and discipline. Um, whenever we asked about Del Rio's coaching or game planning, Rivera constantly pushed back. And I think we're seeing now that without 
their starting two defensive ends. And not just without them, the backups are nothing but guys who are picked in like the seventh round or, or picked up off the street. Uh, the secondary, you mentioned, you know, no Landon Collins. Uh, you know, it, it, they finally made the move, though, to move Landon Collins to that other role and move Cam Curl it's more towards the back of, of the defense. And all these things are, to me, signals that coaching. In fact, to the point, I'll even say this. There was a stat I saw that said that in the for the Raiders, that since Tom Flores, who was the coach when they won the Super Bowls with Marcus Allen and all that, since he retired, the coach with the, the head coach with the best winning percentage for them has been Jack Del Rio. And combined seeing that and then seeing what he's happening here, I think Jack Del Rio should be in discussion for coaching jobs this year. I'm not saying he gets it and there's other whatever, but I mean, like, he's done a good enough job for me to say that that's something that should be potentially even on the table because this is a markedly different looking defense despite losing all these different players. And like you said, it, it felt it, I, that Green Bay game, it felt like if Aaron Rodgers wanted to pour it on, he probably could have. In this game, it didn't feel like it felt like Derek Carr was what was under her was under duress. He was struggling to see things down the field. Uh, that they did a really good job uh, across the board, and I think a lot of that's obviously to the players, but I do think a lot of that um, is on the coaches. Um, I, I I wanted to get though to your Heineke column, which of course you know obviously read Jerry in the post. Hopefully you're already doing that, um, and, and Jerry crushes it always. But you, your Heineke column, I, you know, since it's a topic I was interested in, um, lots of good parts. But here's one section that, that caught my eye. Quote. It's rare for a team to take on the characteristics of a temporary quarterback, but it's happening with Washington. His play, good and bad, embodies the squad. Football players most admire toughness and determination, and those are the traits that define Heineke's underdog charm. In victory, his, his teammates were effusive in praising his ability to bounce back. The, the temporary part, 100% right. Like, the quarterback is the most important position. We all know that. But he's a, he's a, a random a random piece. Uh, you know how everybody was saying nobody knew Brian Johnson's name before he made the kick this game. Uh, I promise you, people did not know Taylor Heineke's name when they were about to play Tampa Bay last year in the playoffs. And it's not like, you know, he has a huge resume and yet here he is this guy who's got this team believing in him. And it is, I think mostly because of his spirit. And I think that is exactly right. What you have that like he embodies what they're doing right now. And I think that really does, help win over a locker room yeah absolutely and I mean everyone is into this debate about you know who is he um, how misevaluated was he by scouts um, is he a longer term solution or not and like everybody can get into kind of like the shouting match on whichever side um, they stand on that debate I look at it more on just like what it is right now and what this team is trying to do. And we have to put together a pretty significant sample size. And there's the opportunity to put together what is basically a full season sample size of this guy's work. And then you go in the off season and you figure out the rest of that. Um, he's the right quarterback at the right time for this team. Uh, you know, whether he's the guy who's going to grow with all of these younger players you know, we'll figure that out later, but it, it's refreshing. I mean, he's a great story. There's, there's, even when he makes a mistake, there's no way. I, I don't think that you can just like hate him. Like you might hate the decision that he made, but I just remember there was, you know, whenever cousins, for instance, would, would make a mistake, it was like validating people who had these concerns about him. Kirk always had kind of one foot in the door and I think everybody had that spirit. Like this guy's just come out of nowhere and he has made a place. I'll say this from, he's made a place for himself in the NFL. And I think he's made a place for himself on this team as a long-term member of this team. Um, the, the most simple solution is probably to make him a prime backup, which means that you've got a next level option as the starting quarterback. And if they were to do that, that would probably mean they acquired some veteran who has like a tremendous resume. Um, maybe the more realistic option for them is he gives you a chance to have a interesting quarterback competition with a young quarterback, either someone that you draft um, or someone that, that you bring in um, from another team. And 
even in that case, if he didn't win the quarterback competition, he's going to make it better because you know this guy um, is a fighter. And um, the crazy thing, Ben, about football is dozens and dozens of mistakes are made on that field every Sunday. It's easiest to see when the quarterback makes those mistakes, right? Because right. he's right out there in the open. The quarterback's just easy to see, like when a corner um, isn't covering a guy properly and all of that. But um, it's easy to praise a quarterback, but it's also very easy to criticize a quarterback. Um, but the way those guys are looking at it, they're looking at it like, hey, you know, we play on a team when, you know, Cole Holcomb, you know, made a half dozen mistakes. You know, a Jamin Davis made a half dozen mistakes in that game. Some of them you saw, some of them you probably didn't see. Um, but you have to come back the next down and try to make a play. He very much has that mentality. And I've never seen that kid blame anyone when something goes wrong. Um, technically, there are some things that even in an untrained eye like mine, I would like to see um, him be better at. But um, in terms of just uh, you know, determination, willingness to try to follow the game plan, um, chemistry with teammates. Uh, he checks all the boxes. Absolutely. You mentioned the chemistry with teammates and you mentioned Kirk Cousins. You know, I, I've talked about this before that from a purely, per, I'm not saying bad people or anything, but just from a personality standpoint, you said cut like Cousins always felt like he had one foot out the door. Totally agree, especially in the last couple of years as we all debated whether he was going to sign a long-term contract or should or whatever. Um, but yeah, Kirk Cousins, there's always a, there's a measured quality to what he is saying. He, he always sounds, I remember the very first time I ever tweeted about Kirk Cousins in Washington was about where can I contribute to his political campaign? He always had this vibe of somebody who's trying <laughs> to sell you something or put, you know, kind of let you know he's got other thoughts or whatever. And Heineke is just the dude next door, like the the, 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 perver the classic guy you want to have a, a have a drink with. And obviously, a lot of that is this it's his it's his own nature. A lot of that is his journey here that he's had to you know he's been overlooked. He's had to fight all these kinds of things. But that it is that is it is existing and it maintains it's still here at this point. Is I think what is different with his teammates. Unfortunately, you know we're not in the locker room, right? I can't I can't physically see does Jonathan Allen or does um, Logan Thomas or does anybody like walk over to Heineke and who's, you know, who's, who's playing cards with whom and, and, you know, who, who's a, you know, there's no more ping pong table in there, but like those type of things that you'd be able to see. But before we can't see that. So all you can go by is what the players are saying. And um, it's, uh, it's obvious. I mean, that they are connecting with this guy on a human level. And part of it is he plays a very human brand of football. He is not a robot. He goes out there and, he figures out on each given play what he needs to do. I, I wrote in my story this week, I basically wrote that the, the that Washington just babied the Raiders or just, just win babied the Raiders uh, because th th that that's their motto, motto from Al Davis. And that's how he plays. And that's how, how they play. And it is interesting to see them connect um, on, on that, on that front. Um, obviously it all sets up now this five game stretch starting with Dallas this week, all division games left. Ron Rivera pointed to this beginning of the year. Who knew if it was going to matter? It certainly didn't look like it was going to matter a few weeks ago, but now that it does, uh, I don't know if I like it or if I don't like it in terms of like a schedule that you're all, you're, like we had to wait all this time, except for the one Giants game in week two for any of these types of games. But now that we're here, it is a pretty, it is a pretty compelling circumstance to have have it lay out like this. What do you think about the that aspect of it? Like, okay, there's five games to go, and we know even if the Giants are out of it, that is going to be a tough game because of the division aspect. What do you what do you think of that? Right, it's it, it's going to be crazy and and unpredictable. The the hard part about playing five division games in a row, especially when you're not not great, um, is I can already put them down for two losses. I mean, I hate to tell everybody that. But like just on, um, I mean, two of the teams you're playing twice and then the Giants you always have trouble with. And um, so uh, just on, you know, divisional foe and their familiarity with you and the intensity of the rivalries and, and just the fact that 
I mean, even the Giants in last place, um, you know, they're only two games out of, uh, you know, a, a six, the six and the seventh seed, right? Um, so everybody's kind of in it. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking at it and um, I hope I'm wrong, like for the sake of the league, because I don't think you need a bunch of nine and eight or eight, nine teams getting into the postseason. But, uh, yeah, I do kind of look at it and it's like, well, um, you know, they play really well. They're probably going to lose a couple of these games just on that, you know, just the intense focus on these teams that really know you. Uh, but on the other hand, all these games, I'll tell you this about all these games. Um, all of them are going to be similar to what you've seen the last couple of weeks. Um, Philadelphia can't run away from Washington. Dallas, the way they've been playing, although they've got another gear compared to the other teams. And if you catch them on the wrong day, they might just, you know, I mean, they might put 35 on you. Um, but Dallas shouldn't run away from you, especially next next week. Uh, and then the Giants certainly, um, you know, are a hot mess pending that last game of the season. So uh, the, these are these are all games that are going to be similar to what you've seen recently. And there is this formula uh, for Washington. It's not the most exciting style of football. It's kind of like a, you know, you call them pushers in tennis, mm -hmm. um, a push player. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's really simple. It's uh, um, you're slowing the game down by trying to manage possession. They've been brilliant on third down. Uh, you know, after last week, they might be over 50% during this streak um, on, on third down conversion percentage. So right near or at the top of the league, um, right there. Um, uh, you're playing good defense. Uh, you're, you're staying committed to the run. Um, your your quarterback is completing 70% of his passes during this during this streak, what for four straight games. Um, if you don't turn the ball over, you're gonna be right there in games. But they're all gonna be close games. You're not gonna separate from people that way either, but you're gonna be right there uh, in games. And I think it's not the it's not the most exciting style of play, it's not the most aggressive um, structure in which to play, but that's the right setup for this team. And What's different, though, about it, Ben, is that most teams that play that way and have a quarterback who's not a star quarterback while playing that way don't have a guy who just might mess around and win the game for you in the fourth quarter or on the last drive. Right. That is this unique skill set that Heineke has that transcends whatever perception you have of him as a player overall. And that's a very rare thing to have a guy who's got the gall to go out and either win or lose a game at the end. And that makes them really interesting, you know, with, within this style, because normally when you play that way, you're trying to hide what the quarterback can do. And they are trying to mask some things with him, but they're not trying to hide that. You know, they're almost like trying to get to that point because they feel like they got a guy who, who can win them a game. Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, we talked about this the other day and I've talked about this here. You know, there, I was use the NBA player analogies. There are guys who might be the best player in the court for 43 minutes, but when it gets to the last five, they, they shrink in some capacity and, uh, and other guys, you know, make the clutch shots, you know, Robert Ori, not the guy you necessarily are focused on the first 43, but in the end of the game, he's, you know, showed he can make it. I'm not, I'm not comparing Taylor Heineke to big shot, Bob. I'm just saying, He's, he's unafraid of that moment, and that is massive when it comes to do you think you have a chance to win because most of these games do end up coming down to the last, you know, or one possession games, things along um, along those lines. Um, let me ask you this uh, to sort of to sort of wrap this up, sort of a bigger picture question. I know you're not around here day to day, but you're a columnist and you think about these things, and, I'm, and this was probably I, I did not go back and read your Green Bay column, but I'm sure this was some in some way, if not in your words, in, in your head, and that is everything that was going on with this team outside of football at that time. Okay. okay so let's go back here a little bit. October 5th or sorry, October 8th is when the first emails came out about John Gruden. Right. And they were emails that were connected to, there were emails to, he was sending back and forth with Bruce Allen mm -hmm. uh, that had nothing to do per se with Washington. But at that point it was about disparaging comments uh, about uh, NFLPA ahead to Morris Smith. Uh, and that's, that started, 
a new conversation about, hey, the Wilkinson report never was released. We need to see these emails. What else is going on in, in here? And then a, a few weeks later, oh, so wait, October 8th, October 10th, Washington loses to the Saints. That was the first game of what became a four-game losing streak. Um, October 28th, more emails come out. John Gruden resigns. This cut, This thing is really blowing up now. Three days later, they lose on Halloween at Denver. They've now lost four in a row. As we discussed, things were clearly headed in the wrong direction. November 5th, Cong- it, it was uh, the NFL's deadline to, d- to deliver documents to Congress. Clearly, they didn't deliver everything that was required. <laughs> and, you know, this thing is really picking up steam. Everybody's like, oh, here we go. Congress is going to, you know, come after Dan Snyder and the NFL. Here we go. But then Washington has a bye week, and I'm not saying that the other topic is dead, but it's certainly now quieter. This is how these things tend to happen, and I I thought that in a moment. People are, you know, NFL's not going to worry about Congress. We'll see what happens eventually, but it's going to – Congress has other things to deal with in the world, and, you know, topics move on. And here we are, and I'm not – again, I'm not saying this topic is off the the table – but it's been a lot quieter since. And I know that like some players, even if they didn't say publicly that they were frustrated having to hear about this or be asked about this, I know there was some frustration there. There had to have been for Ron Rivera. We're asking him all these questions. He just wants to focus on football. And I wonder how much the fact that like, I'm not saying that they lost four in a row because of all these other things, but it was another distraction. It was a reminder of what what the issues are, are here. And those issues remain but they're not front and center today. I don't think any of us are writing, or maybe, I don't know, maybe somebody did. We weren't really writing per se about the, the, the other factors. We were just talking about football. And I'm wondering if, what you think about how much the fact that the noise for now is quieter, if there's some connection there between the, this team winning and, and not. Yeah, yes and no. It's, it's a little bit like, it's hard to tell sometimes when there's a cloud hovering over you, right? Like, um, you know, no, the, the, the cloud isn't necessarily going to make you like perform worse, but it does something to your spirit. You know, I mean, I'm thinking about it, looking outside the window and seeing, you know, a typical cloudy, misty uh, kind of winter day in Seattle. And like, no, it's not going to stop me from um, going about my day, but does it like have some kind of impact on my mood and my spirit? Yeah. Yes. And I think it's kind of that. Like, I, I mean, I always look at it like um, when you join the Washington football team, um, your, it's like your last name is synonymous with an infamous family, right? You know, like, oh, like, oh, there go them Washingtons, you know. <laughs> um, oh, do you know what their great granddaddy did? And you know what they did, the granddaddy did. And like, even though um, you weren't part of the mess, the mess still sticks to your name. And you're always constantly trying to prove that you're not that, even though your character says you're not that. That's what I think frustrates Ron Rivera more than anything right like he wasn't a part of any of this junk except for the trainer that he brought in right like and it's like why do I have to answer for this and why can't you just um look at me for who I am and look at the decency that it's on my track record and just like not make this have to like stick to me but I I ain't a part of this you know Jonathan Allen wasn't a part of any of this stuff and 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 Taylor Heineke and Chase Young and Antonio Gibson none of the, you know some of this stuff like predates them so much and that can become frustrating and like in the back of your mind um when you're trying to build something um when you're trying to establish your tradition you want to have all that energy moving forward. And when you've got something that's pulling against all that energy, um, it makes it harder during those moments of struggle, for sure. Uh, the greater issue with them is probably just, um, you know, we have two seasons of sample size and we have a career of sample size with Ron Rivera. He's a slow starting coach and his, his team, uh, his teams have been slow starting teams for whatever reason. 
And his two teams in Washington have a combined record of two and seven in October. Two and seven, you know, um, if you were four and five in October, how much better of a position would that put you in? Right. Um, and so uh, because they're, they're building, rebuilding, whatever you want to call it, you don't draw too much uh, emphasis to that. But like that's point number one next year. You got to start. You don't have to start this, uh, an NFL season super fast, but you can't start two and six and two and seven. You know, can you be three and five? Can you be four and four? Can you be four and five? You know, just stay connected to the season um, because anytime there's chaos here, it's exaggerated. Everything is always way worse with this team than what it really is. Absolutely. And not, not to uh, be really lame and, and read off my own column, but like at the end of my story this week, I wrote about how you know, this confidence is building and how Johnson he comes in the locker room. He's brand new to the team. And he says, in terms of the confidence, quote, you know, I felt it. I felt that once I walked in and everything, it's an awesome locker room to be in, um, quote, you know, dot, 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 but it's awesome to be here. And then I wrote, imagine anyone just arriving, saying things like that earlier this season. It's amazing what winning can do. If the same guy comes in when you were there in Green Bay, I, I'm sure he would be happy to have a, the paycheck and have the NFL opportunity. But in terms of the <laughs> locker room, no way or the vibe in general no way you'd be feeling the same way and it is amazing how how things can change winning helps and um you know there's some other factors as well maybe it's just you know they missed uh you know they've been missing jerry brewer and they they were excited to see him uh back amongst them and and that inspired uh the big uh the the the, the big w in, in the desert it's it's possible that could, that could have been the reason uh not at all <laughs> that there is a uh i, I will say this like, um, especially looking at them when, when they're injured and, and seeing the people who have to step forward. Um, you know, we had a conversation about Jonathan Allen um, after the game. Um, when you're struggling or, or when you're kind of scuffling or, or, or when you're um, just grinding through injuries, that's when, like, the real steadying presences step up and they may be quiet during other times, but you really need them in those moments. And I think that's really helping them as well. Just the fact that, um, you know, you, you, the, the loudest voices right now are the steadiest voices. And those kind of people aren't going to get you too high or too low. Um, they're, they're not going to get you in that state of like wondering like, oh, how do we win without this guy? They're going to stay in that next man up mentality. And uh I think that's I think that's been really, really, really good uh, for this club. You'd like, you like you want to have all your pieces and you want to have um, your, your way more energetic, dynamic, charismatic Chase Young's type of guy, because if you really, really want to win, um, you got to have that. Um, and those guys need to be. But like that's sort of a reminder, like, um, you know, everything needs to kind of like balance out, you know, so you want to make sure that 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 um the loudest voices aren't always the strongest voices on right. a team and um you 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 need you need the hype man and then you need the steadying guy and uh i think this is just a a great time and a great situation for them to figure out like that proper balance and and be a reflection of you know i mean one thing you can say about rivera is I mean, he's very, very even keeled in terms of how he deals with his team and very direct and very simple, um, doesn't say too much. Um, and uh, that's kind of the energy that they need to take on. And, you know, as they kind of build this momentum and build this good vibe, they kind of need that reinforcement that part of it isn't like because they tried harder. Like they've just kind of settled and really been smarter and been a little more diligent on what it is that they're trying to accomplish. And once again, it is not this flamboyant, sexy style of football. It's tried and true. It's very traditional, but it keeps you in the game in the NFL. And that needs to be your baseline. And then you can build off of that and do more dynamic things. But you have to have that mentality of like, how are we going to be able to play and go back and forth for four quarters? 
And that's what they're doing now. Uh, absolutely. I could not agree more. Uh, go read Jerry at the Washington Post. Follow him on Twitter at Jerry Brewer. Uh, it was great to see you in Vegas. Shared a couple meals. Great to have you here on the podcast. We didn't get to talk about the Wizards. I'll be honest, I missed the last couple of games while we were dealing with Vegas, and I presumably you did as well. So maybe uh, when we're done with football, we'll have you come back on talk talk some NBA as we've done in the past. Only if they have a winning record when we start paying attention again, because they they're starting to like <laughs> eat away at some of the momentum that they had. I mean, it is wild. I looked at the, I, I was like, oh, they've been losing. I'm like they're, they're still fourteen and ten. If you had told me they'd be fourteen and ten after twenty four games. They're like, oh, we definitely take that. But yes, at the moment they're uh they're they're in, they're they're in the middle of something here. They got they got to figure this out. But may, maybe by the next time, by by January or February, when we're ready to talk. We'll uh we'll see. Uh, thanks, man. I hopefully I'll uh, see you again this season. Yeah, I'll be I'll be in Dallas after Christmas, so I'm excited to cover that game. And who knows? Maybe that'll be for the division lead. You never know. <laughs> see you, man. See you, man. All right. Many thanks to Jerry Brewer for his time. I'll have more coming up this week on Dallas Week. Don't worry about that. Um, But that is it for now. Ben Standig signing off. Until next time. 